The following audio is from a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer entitled, Pray Like Jesus. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. The last six weeks, we have been in a sermon series. We've been, well, I guess four, six weeks, in a sermon series going through the Lord's Prayer, uh, line by line or verse by verse. Um, And what we realize, one of the reasons why we do this is because we realize everyone has some sort of a desire to pray. Everybody has it. It's sort of an instinct or or a reflex that everybody has. But even having this sort of uh, reflex that's embedded in us, many times we find it difficult to pray. Or at least difficult to pray in a meaningful and earnest way. Now I think that if I were to ask you, just do a quick survey and ask everyone in the room how their prayer life is going, most people would probably say, well, it it could be better, right? For some of us, that's just because we have a hard time prioritizing prayer. We have a hard time fitting it into our schedule. We think it's something that, that maybe we put everything else in and then we find a way to punch it in later on the backside. Or for some of us, it seems like it might be just an ineffective use of time. When we hear what Luther says, he said that I have so much to do today, I must spend the first three hours of my day in prayer. That sounds absurd, does it not? What do you mean? You got so much to do. Well, you should get after it. You should go for it. Now, I think that, that the reason why this uh, quote that Luther has laid out, it, it's just kind of like we push back on it a little bit, is because most of us would rather trudge through our day in self-reliance than tap into God's unlimited grace and power that he desires to give us. Now, I don't think it's because of stubbornness. I don't think we're saying, you know what, God, I can do it better so I'm just going to press in on my own. But I think it's probably due to a little bit of ignorance. Uh, an ignorance of how God wants to be a part of my daily life. It's hard to imagine, to comprehend that God would want to be invited into the small, minuscule things in the workplace, in my home, in my social life. And it might cause some doubts. I think one of the first doubts that it might kind of generate is this this idea that if God is really as big as the Bible tells us, if he's really as powerful and mighty and transcendent, then he's probably too busy running the universe to mind me. Right? He's busy spinning planets in motion. He's busy keeping the sun burning from the earth from collapsing in on itself. I figure that I'm probably a relatively low priority on his list if God is as big as he says he is. Now, the second doubt that that I think can either come off of that or maybe it's on the other side of the road is that if God has time to hear my prayers, if he has time to be mindful of me and listen to what I'm asking him for, then he surely can't be as great as he says he is. Right? CEOs don't scrub toilets. What's God doing listening to a prayer of who's basically the equivalent of dirt? God must have bigger things. 
right? Even if he can listen to my prayers, even if he does listen and answer my prayers, does he really have the power to deliver on that? Now, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus blows up both of these common streams of doubt by telling us to pray for our daily bread. In verse 11 of Matthew 6, he says, this is the, this is, so the Lord's Prayer can really be divided in two parts. The first part is what's focused on God. We're saying, Lord, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And, and that's all focused on God. And then here he kind of turns the corner. Now we start, start kind of focusing on our needs, what we are coming for in prayer. And the first thing that Jesus leads off on when we're praying for what we need is in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Now, leading up to teaching us the Lord's Prayer, uh, Jesus says, when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, you don't need to go vine for attention. Prayer should not be a pageant of your spirituality, nor do you need to heap up words in order for God to hear you. He tells us that God attentively meets us in secret. He's attentive not only to spiritual matters, but the essence of our physical, phys, physical allergy. I don't know if that's a word. The, the physical nature of our being. He's telling us to pray for our daily bread, and he's attentive to those needs. And he tells us that when you go pray, go into your bedroom, close the door, and you can pray knowing that God already knows what you're asking for before it even comes off your mouth. Now, I just want you to think for a moment. Think of the people who you spend quality time with in your bedroom. Don't, don't go there. But, but, think, but just think of this. There's only a few people who you're spending quality time with in your bedroom. Right? Your spouse. Your kids, right? If, if you're a kid, you're probably playing in your bedroom with your siblings. Aside from giving people tours through your homes, very rarely do you spend quality time there. In fact, in our household, 95% of the time, nobody steps foot in my bedroom because I've got clothes all over the floor. But there's a threshold on the caliber of relationships with the people who are admitted into that space. And parents know this, right? If you're a parent of a teenager, you know this. You don't send your kids to go study with a, a, a person of an opposite sex in their bedroom, right? You're, you're mindful of that threshold. And the culture might not care. They, they might say, you know what, do what you want. And so people treat the bedroom as a secret place to indulge. But really, the bedroom is meant to be a sacred place where God meets us. Now Jesus, as he's leading up to the Lord's Prayer, he reveals why this intimacy, this, this setting is an intimate setting. It's because we are praying to our Heavenly Father. Four times within three verses does Jesus point to the fact that God is our Heavenly Father. And so it's like a father who sits on the edge of his bed with his child uh, before bedtime to sit down and talk to rehash the day, or maybe even on the front side of the day, to prepare for the day, that God, our Heavenly Father, is right there with us. And so it's not this cold and distant 
disinterested God we pray to. This is a, a loving and doting adoptive heavenly father, a father who has brought us into his family by the work of his son, Jesus Christ, by going to the cross for us. He brings us in. Now, the common book of prayer tells us that God is always more ready to hear than we are to pray. God is always more ready to hear from us than we are to pray. And there's this sense where God is giving us access. He says, come into your room, sit down, be with me. Let's, let's have a relationship, a, a, a real thriving relationship together. And God says, there's, there's no caption on what we can ask for. Now, when, when I'm with my kids, I'll cut them off, right? After like the 10th time they ask me for something, I'm like, that's it. We're done. If I hear that question again, no TV or something like that, you know. But God doesn't put a cap on what we can ask for. He says, keep, keep the requests coming. James 4.2 tells us that you do not have because you do not ask. Other places, Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, I will give to you. Now, if you've been in church and you kind of know like, that God's not some genie in the bottle, right? God's not a genie in a bottle that we rub and say the right things the right way and then he'll give us what we're asking for. Verses like that kind of sound suspect. Right? What exactly does God mean when he say, says, ask in my name and I'll give it to you? I mean, I've been asking for a new pickup truck for a long time. I've been asking for my kids to behave in public daily. And so when I look at that promise, that kind of stuff seems untrue. But when we really get to the heart of what God is saying here, to, to ask and he'll give it, uh, Tim Keller says this, this, this prayer, this invitation means that all through the Bible, God promises to bring into our lives astonishing, mind-numbing blessings and prosperity through prayer. God has all kinds of tremendous things that he wants to give you through prayer. Now, last week we saw how our prayers get reshaped and reoriented. That when we pray to our heavenly father whose name is hallowed, we were praying for his kingdom to come and his will be done. And so there's a sense where our, our prayers get rewired. Our hearts become lined up with God's own heart. That Psalm 84 tells us that there's nothing good that we've asked for that's been withheld. Do you know that? Everything good that you ask God for, he has delivered on that thing. And oftentimes he gives it before we even ask for it. Now when we see our Heavenly Father in this light, this intimate, near, he's inviting, he's compassionate, he's, he's open to our prayers, this gives us confidence in coming to God and asking for things in prayer. The promise that nothing good has been withheld shows us that he hears, he answers these prayers. Now parents, you're aware, I'm sure, that your joy is bound up with the joy of your children. Like, we, we love to see our kids 
happy, do we not? Right? It, it, the, one of the worst feelings is, is knowing that your kid's being bullied or being made fun of, and, and it just this weight that rests on them. It, it's hard to see that. But on the other side, it's, it's a joyful expression of the heart to see a kid flourishing and happy and joyful. And so as parents, we, we link our joy to the joy of our children. And that's why we like to give gifts. We like to take our kids to fun places. It's rewarding. Right? In my household, requests for ice cream are rarely denied. That's mostly because my wife really loves ice cream. But, but it's one of those good gifts that we love to give our kids. Now, there's a line, though. Okay, if my kid is 12 years old and 200 pounds, I know that giving ice cream upon every request is not the wisest thing for him. That, that gift will actually threaten the well-being of that child. In fact, if you're a parent and you're saying yes to everything that your kid asks for, you are probably doing them more harm than you are doing them good. In a sense, saying yes can sabotage their joy. But one of the difficulties in being parents is knowing where that line draws, the line between what's good and what's not helpful. Right? Something might seem good, but maybe it's not actually good. Right? Maybe, maybe giving my kid a brand new car looks good, but maybe that's not actually the best thing that they need. And so it's figuring out where that line is. Where we struggle as parents deciphering what is good and what is unhelpful is a struggle. We, we a lot of times have uncertainty about it. But God, as our Heavenly Father, He doesn't. He is wise. He discerns all. He foresees all. He has the ability to know what is good for us and what is not helpful. And as parents, we're helpless to control how things really plan out, pan out for our kids. But God, he has all authority, and he exercises that authority for our good. Where our power is limited, God has the power to take what is meant for evil and flip it for what is good. Think of Joseph's story in the book of Genesis, where his brothers sold him into slavery, sent him off to a far land, Try, like leaving him for dead. And God takes that story of Joseph and he flips it. And he says, what was meant for my harm, God used for my good. See, this is the kind of father that God is. That he has the power, he has the ability to control, the authority. Not to mention that there has not been a parent on earth who has more thoroughly and intensively, intensively loved his kids. That's the kind of father God is. And it's important for us to understand what kind of father God is before we get into asking, give us this day our daily bread. Because for God, the line to discern what's good and what's unhelpful, there's something motivating God that is greater than our joy. God's motive for what he does in discerning what's good, what's unhelpful, is driven by his glory. 
the chief end of man links God's glory to our enjoyment of him. Those things are intrinsically connective. That, that, that we do not experience this deep, profound, soul-stirring joy unless we understand or acknowledge the glory of God. And this is a huge misconception that we fight in our culture today. Especially as we live in community and on mission together. There's this temptation for us to say, I know best. I know what's best for my life. I know the path I should take. I know what I should do, what I shouldn't do. I can discern what is good and what is unhelpful. And when we don't get what we want, when we don't get our way, we throw a spiritual tantrum. We look at God as if he's a mean, angry God that's not our father, somebody that's just trying to, to, to you know, poke and prod us to get us to frustrated. And we look at God and say, what is this? What have you given me? What are you doing here? And we start thinking that God doesn't care. He doesn't care about us. He doesn't care about our joy. But Jesus shows us in the Lord's Prayer that that cannot be further from the truth. And the prayer starts. Jesus says, he, he helps us to remember what kind of father God is by praying, hallowed be your name. That God is different from us. He's holy, he's transcendent, he's awesome, he's majestically splendid. And because God is awesome, we ask for his awesomeness to permeate the earth. Right? Your kingdom come, your will be done in our homes, in our missional communities, in our church, in our city, in our region, in our country, in the world. And more intimately, in our hearts. That God would, in a sense, move heaven down to earth within our own hearts. Now this is such a, a, a monumentous thing that we can't help but respond in some sort of worship, in adoration. It's a grand realization of who we pray to, this holy, benevolent, giving, awesome God. Who happens to be the king of the universe, who happens to be our heavenly father. Now true prayer, because there, there's a difference between true prayer and phony prayer, right? True prayer draws our gaze up. Phony prayer keeps my eyes fixed on me. In fact, that was one of the distinguishing factors of, of how the Pharisees prayed. They, they would pray on the street corners so people would see them. The attention would be upon them. But Jesus is saying, hey, when, when you pray, first draw your gaze up. Look at God. See what he's like. Now, it's not to say that we don't pretend like our needs don't exist, right? When we pray, we don't just go, oh, God, you're so awesome, and always have this posture of adoration, and we shove everything else under the rug. But the first thing that we need to do in prayer is realize that God is bigger than what we're bringing to him. It's easy for us to lose sight of who God is and what he's capable to do because we are so focused on what's immediately pressing in the moment. Is it not? 
right? Your disobedient kid seems pretty overwhelming. You can't draw your gaze up to God. The financial struggles that you might be experiencing in your household are really overwhelming. Your business is troubling and you, you can't get, your, your prayers are just stuck on those things. But Jesus is saying, go past those things up to God. And if we were to audit our prayers, I think most of us probably pray with a gimme, gimme attitude. We don't think about God. We're not mindful of his kingdom, of his will. Not, not in a way that's true deep in our hearts, right? It might be lip service. And when you think about it, healthy relationships, healthy conversations don't start with a list of demands. If you're waking up in the morning and you're looking at your spouse and say, hey, this is what I need from you, without acknowledging who they are, like, it's good to see you, do you sleep good? Right, that relationship is probably not going to be very healthy. The same is true with our, our, our relationship with God. Right? Relationship, the conversation begins with an acknowledgement of who God is and who we are. N.T. Wright says to skip the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer that are God-focused is to let greed get in the way of grace. And so in a sense, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer is like a filter that strains out all of our selfish, stupid, and short-sighted prayers. It's really helpful. Because Jesus wants us to experience the freedom of self-forgetfulness. He wants us to be in awe and to be dependent upon God. To meditate on God's character, to marvel at his works in creation and in our lives, to draw near and to seek his will and to know because he is a good father, what he wills is what's best for me. See, one of the greatest gifts that prayer offers is the ability to realign our perspective with God's perspective. To, to actually realize how small our circumstances are in comparison to the vastness of God. Prayer gives us new eyes. Because if our perspective of God never changes, our circumstances will always find a way to trouble us. Do you realize that? Like you, if you think your problem is having more money, you're going to get more money and you're still going to be troubled by something, right? If you think the problem is your kids, your kids are going to maybe shape up a little bit and you're still going to realize there's something wrong here. If not with them, it's with another area of your life. That if our perspective of God never changes, our circumstances will always trouble us. Something, there's always going to be something to worry about. There's always going to be something to fight for, control of. There's always going to be lingering insecurities to ward off and discontentment to fight against. Now, when that's happening, it's because something else has eclipsed God's glory in our life. In other words, there's another king on the throne of your heart. Now, what prayer does, it gives us a place to confess our misconceptions and unbelief, to repent and to live in the reality of the bigness of God and the smallness in comparison of our circumstances. Now this might, seem, might not seem like a big deal, but it, it really is. Because at the core of every sin and every struggle is unbelief. 
It means that we're not seeing God accurately. And so true prayer allows us uh, to see God right. True prayer adjusts our perspective. An adjusted perspective of God, listen, an adjusted perspective of God often is the remedy to our anxiety, to our fear, and our heartache. Just in looking up to who God is, our soul can be settled. Now, once Jesus has taught us about who God is, his characteristic, what he's like, really to align our heart to God in prayer, once our eyes have been set on heaven's splendor and filled with kingdom prayers and godly desires, the Lord prayer goes on. And you would think because we're praying to God, the first thing on our list would be a spiritual request. Something spiritual that we need to latch on to. But the first thing that Jesus gives us to pray for is bread. Jesus says, come ask away. None of your needs are too small to ask for. That's what he shows us in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Now it's almost comical when you frame it up. When, when Jesus leads us into the heavens and thinking about God and what he's doing and, and, and who he is. And then the first thing he takes us down to is our bellies. We go from praying for the kingdom to come to asking for bite-sized morsels that we can consume. It almost seems unspiritual, right? In fact, that's how a lot of... Uh, other religions frame it, that, that if you really want to be spiritual, suppress your physical needs, ignore them, and really push into the spiritual side of things. But here it shows us what kind of father we have that not only attends to our spiritual needs, as we'll see in next week's petition, but the first thing that he tells us to ask for is our daily bread. Jesus tells us that even our most basic Physical needs should be brought to God in prayer in asking for our daily bread. Now, if you're gluten intolerant, daily bread might sound like a disaster, okay? It's like, you got any gluten-free crackers? And just so you know, we do have gluten-free crackers here for Lord's Supper. If you want to come and have those, you just have to ask for them. But let me assure you, when we're praying for daily bread, it's more than a request for delicious, fluffy uh, mildly toxic bread, okay? In the Lord's Prayer, when we're asking for our daily bread, it represents a request for our basic necessities that our physical bodies need in order to, sur- to, to survive here on earth. Now, just really, like, we're talking basic necessities. We're not praying for Maseratis. Jesus doesn't say, hey, come ask me for Maserati. I'm going to drop it in your driveway tomorrow. We're not praying for $6 million estates. We're praying for our needs, not our wants, our needs to be met. But when you really start unpacking this request, this ripples uh, into a huge area of life. It's quite expansive because not only are we praying for food to eat, we're praying for the money to go buy that food from the grocery store. Not only are we praying for money, but we're praying for a job that allows us to earn an honest living. 
Not only are we praying for a job, but we're praying for the skills and the ability and the physical capacity and mental capacity to work a job and keep it. Praying for clothes to go to work in. Praying for a home, shelter, to eat, to gather with our families in. And, and if you broaden that beyond your own experience, really this, this extends out into the economy. This is not only a prayer that we would have what we need for the day, but that the, the economy would be flourishing. That business owners are in a business that's creating revenue to create jobs so people can go to work. We're praying for an upright government where these business owners can function and thrive in. We're praying for health care. We're praying for the providers of health care. Right, so that when we need help, there's somebody there to help us. That we have an access to those services. We're praying for safe transportation to get us from point A to point B. Right, this is really quite expansive of what we're praying for when we pray for our daily bread. And when you think about it, there's, there's so much that we need. Luther tells us that when we're praying for our daily bread, it's like praying for all of these things and against whatever threatens them. See, until you really zoom out that far, you don't realize just how needy you are, specifically in a physical sense. Now, because the kingdom of God is both spiritual and physical, that heaven is coming down to earth and together they will be one, our prayers are shaped both spiritually and physically, addressing those needs. Because if you think about it, where we look to for our daily bread is not only a physical matter, but it's one of spiritual orientation as well. It's a question. Here's the question here. Do we really think that we're pulling all of this off? Do you really think that you're the one that's pulling off your job and your income and keeping your car together and keeping uh, the, your skills and knowledge that you need to do your work? Or is God behind it? That's the question. Is it me or is it God? And Jesus wants to see that God is the one that's every, doing underneath everything that we need. He's the one that's providing supply for every need that we have. And so we can be confidently dependent upon God. Now, I think that's a little bit of a paradox for us. We think of mature, maturation, growing up, becoming more responsible for ourselves, handling our own business. And in a sense, that's true, right? You, you don't want to be in mama's basement when you're 35. There's a sense where we do need to grow up. But when we're growing up, we're not growing up in, in individualism. We're not growing up into self-sufficiency. What we're growing up into is God dependency. Acknowledging how God meets all of our needs. Now, this is a kind of dependency that when you strip it down and you look at it for what it is, it's a little bit intimidating because we are literally asking, give us this day our daily bread. We're not asking that we can barter with God. We're not asking if we can work for something because we, we have nothing to offer God. We, we have nothing that God needs. It's, it's a matter of simple dependency. We're going to God, making a request to give us 
this daily bread. And it's a daily endeavor. Right? We're, we're not asking for a lump sum. Give us this month or our monthly ration. No, that, that sort of mentality does not promote becoming dependent upon God. We're asking for our daily bread. What we're asking for is what we need today. And trusting that God would provide it. And then we'll let tomorrow worry about tomorrow. Now part of living in a fallen world is the perception of having limited resources. Right? Everybody's bank account has a limited amount. There, it's not an infinite, even if you've got a ton of money. It's a limited amount. Everybody has a limited physical capacity. Everybody has a limited mental capacity. There's only so much you can do. There's only so much you can know. And this is why we get stressed and anxious because we realize there's a limitation to what we have, right? How are we going to get ends to me? How am I going to provide for my child's education? How am I going to make this car payment? And it could either be situationally, right? Maybe you're into a season where this burden comes down on you and you really realize where you're just limited. Or maybe this is like part of a perpetual lifestyle that you have. We're worried about how medical bills will get paid off or how we're going to fix our car or pay for student loans and still have food on the table. But 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Your heavenly Father has every resource at his fingertips. Do you realize that? This is one of the reasons why planning a church I got, I got really intimidated by the financial aspect of raising money to start a church. But one of the things that gave me profound comfort was the fact that all of the resources in the world are God's and he can point them to whatever need he sees fit. That is a piece of truth that we can hold with us in our daily lives. That the world, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And he's a good heavenly father who longs to give us what we need. In fact, on the next page, if you flip uh, in your Bible, you'll see Jesus in the same Sermon on the Mount talking to the congregation, and he's telling them, think about the birds. Just, you think about, when was the last time you thought about a bird? Unless it was like in your house and you're trying to get it out of your house. Right? Birds are not something that most of us spend time thinking about. They're sort of background noise when we sit outside or annoyances. But Jesus says, Think about the birds. They don't earn their food. Sure, they, they fly from place to place to, to get what they need, but, but they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't plant, they don't harvest. They don't have warehouses to store what they find in. But day by day, God provides for them. He says, then, then look at the, the lilies of the field. Are these, these are, nobody planted these. These just have popped up. Look at the lilies out in the field. And again, something that we tend to walk by and ignore. We write it off as, as ditch vegetation. And he says, look at them and look how big and pretty, how, how they flourish. They've got this beauty to them. These lilies didn't make themselves pretty. God clothed them in beauty that kings cannot compete with. And then Jesus says... 
When you're thinking about these things, if God is so mindful to give birds what they need every day, to clothe lilies in beauty, how much more mindful is God toward your needs? And when you think about it, when it comes to providing for us, God is pretty creative. Just think through the story of the Exodus when Israelites had been led out of Egypt. They're walking their way through the desert and they're hungry and God makes bread fall from the sky. Bread from the sky, guys. God does that every day. They're thirsty. You say, all right, well, come up to this rock. Moses, strike it. I'm going to make water shoot out. Or what about the pillar of fire that went before them to keep them warm at night? Or the, the cloud of smoke that led them through the desert in the middle of the day that provided shade from the heat of the sun? Think of how God has provided for his people even in the Old Testament. Now, you might hear this and say, well, God doesn't do that anymore. He, he's not going to help me out in that sort of way. But, but he does. Listen, when I, when I was, this is probably three, four, five years ago, I, I was starting my church planting residency. And it was just my wife and I at the point. We didn't have any kids. And I had to raise support for two years. And, and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Uh, and it was just a season of, of living meagerly. We didn't have a lot of money. But we knew every step of the way God was looking out for us. That God was providing in some of the ways that we didn't even know. Sometimes we would get a check in the mail. came out of nowhere. weren't expecting it. Sometimes when we were buying groceries, uh, somebody would pay for it. We'd get a discount or something. He, he kept our cars from falling apart. Right? Sometimes there's these big gestures, but, but when we think of it, God also works in the little things. Because in the desert, as, as they were walking, God kept their shoes and their clothes from wearing out. God kept them in good health the whole time. See, there are ways that God is providing for us that we're absolutely ignorant of. But he's working to provide. He's giving and giving. Now, when we ask, give us this day our daily bread, we ought to be both humbled and grateful. Humble because... One, we're asking for God to give us something. We're not earning it, but, but grateful because of his past provision. Because yesterday, he got us through yesterday so we could get to today. It's not just for the resources he provided. Though we give thanks for those things. But, but we're, we're giving thanks for the character of God that compels him to give. Of his faithfulness, his generosity, his benevolence, his compassion, his kindness, his steadfast love. That he is the giver of all good things. He's the father that is most mindful of our most elementary needs, and he meets them. And in light of these characteristics and, and God's fatherhood, we also have to have the humility to embrace and receive whatever, he, whatever it is he gives. My brother, when we were kids, it was around Christmas time, and my great aunt gave us all a Christmas present, and... You know, we grew up on a farm outside of uh, Council Bluffs, and we, were, we always collected these bigger, you know, um, tractors. We were a red family, not a green family, so we had red tractors. And um, my brother opened a, a, a toy or a gift, and he opened it up, and he, and he looks at it, and he says, this is the wrong one. This isn't the right one. Like, 
that would be an example of an ungrateful heart. Right? We, we oftentimes proudly and ungratefully do the same thing to God. You, you didn't give me what I wanted. I didn't get the house. I didn't get the job. I didn't get the girl. And so, again, these doubts start to circle. Does God actually care for me? If, if he didn't deliver this thing that I thought was good, is he good anymore? See, Jesus reinforces God's fatherly provision in Matthew chapter 7 by, by telling us to keep asking. In, in, seven, in chapter 7, verse 9, he says, um, Or which one of you, if, if his sons asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts, give good things to those who ask him? See, what Jesus is saying, if, if you're limited in knowing what's good and what's evil and your kid comes to you and asks for a, a loaf of bread, you're not going to give him a stone. If he asks for a fish, you're not going to give him a serpent. How much more so will God give his children good gifts? See, what God, Richard Sib says this. God always gives in value of what you ask, but not always in kind. You might ask for $1,000 worth of gold and get $1,000 worth of diamonds. You might ask for that spouse, and it's actually somebody else. See, God always gives in value, but not always in kind. In asking for daily bread, God can give us muffins instead. Regardless of what he gives, we can trust that it's, it's good. Now, let me, as, I'm, as I'm wrapping this up, let me just close on this one last thing. When praying for our daily bread... We often approach this request very individualistically. We're praying for our needs, for what we need in the moment. But this is, again, a community-minded prayer. Because it's not give me this day my daily bread. It's give us this day our daily bread. We're praying that God would not only meet my needs, but the needs of my community and those around us, the, the MC, the church, my neighborhood. See, and as we're asking for God to provide, what, what we are also opening up ourselves up to is being the means in which we provide for somebody else. As we listen to the Spirit, as we acknowledge the gifts that God gives, God might very well be leading us to bless other people. That when our needs, when our daily bread is provided above and beyond, and we look across the aisle and we see, we see our brother or sister struggling to make ends meet, God have, may have very well blessed you in order to be a blessing to that person. That God can use you as a conduit to bless other people.
This is going to happen if we're listening to the Spirit. We're going to be asking, Spirit, tell me, since I have extra bread, who is in need? Again, going back to James chapter 2. James is talking about, it's not good enough for us just to say to see our brother in need and say, yeah, you know what, I'll pray for you. I hope you figure it out. Christian love, if we're praying for us, for one another, is to help meet the needs of other people. 1 John 3 says, But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Now, the only way that you can live like this, the only way that you can live a life of generosity toward other people is if you understand who is providing for every need that you have. If we don't think that our daily bread is coming today or tomorrow or the next day, then what we do is we selfishly stockpile, we accumulate, we heap up and hoard what we have. To live in daily dependence on God, you must realize that he is our heavenly father who does not withhold anything good. In fact, our greatest good is to learn to be confidently dependent upon him with things little and with things big. To know that he is great enough to meet every single need, that he's near enough to hear them being asked for. And until you come to grips with your humanity, until you realize that you are dependent upon something outside of yourself to be sustained, Prayer is going to seem ridiculous and irrelevant to you. You're going to think, you know what, I can get my daily bread elsewhere. I can get it without God's help. And you very well might live like that for some time. You might make it for a while. But at some point, God will bring you to a place where you are desperate and the only thing that you have left is prayer. It is almost like a reflex. When you get to the, to the end of yourself, the, the thing that everybody does is to cry out to God in prayer. John Newton, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, before, before he came to faith, he was, he was a rebel. He, like close to the equivalent of like Hugh Hefner sort of. Right? He had no moral compass. He was, he was doing his own thing. He was very much living without God. But when he got stuck out at sea one time in a huge storm, he realized he had come to the end of himself. And what happened, he reached out to God. And God met him. He answered his prayer. And then he went on to be a faithful pastor. And he wrote a, bun a bunch of great psalms for us to sing even today. It's because at the end of ourself, we find God. But we don't have to get to that place before God meets us. We have an opportunity to embrace the reality of our humanity now and turn to God as our provider for all of our needs and trust in him. Now, Sundays are a special day because on this day, God gives us a special provision at the Lord's table. He puts bread and a cup in our hands and Jesus says to take and eat, that this is his body that is broken for us. That it was his blood that was shed for us.
We did nothing to earn this. This itself is a gift from God. And we must receive with hands wide open. A sign of our, our emptiness, a sign of our need, a sign of our dependence. And God graciously puts himself in our hand. He gives us a physical reminder of our spiritual reality that we are dependent upon him for all things. And we're especially dependent upon the work of Jesus for us to be able to come to him, to be in relationship with him, to know that we approach him as our heavenly father who loves us and cares for us and provides for us. And so for those who are ready to embrace your humanity today, to, to realize your brokenness and your sinfulness, Jesus is ready to meet your deepest need by giving you himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that before we even ask, you know what we need. And before we know what's good for us, you know. We ask, Father, that as we go about our day, would you help us to learn to become dependent upon you for all things. Would you help us to, to, to have a reflex of turning to you and asking for our daily bread and knowing whatever you give us is good. I pray, Father, that as a community that we would be people who not only pray for ourselves and what we need, but for one another. That we would be people who step into the needs of others as your spirit leads us to do so. And would we be a light in a dark world would we give a picture of what Eden was like in its abundance? Get, be a picture of what the new heavens, new earth will be like when, when there's a sense where we don't have, actually have any sort of perceived needs, that everything that we would need is right there before us because we see you face to face. And as we come forward to take the Lord's table, Father, would you do something in our soul to incline us toward you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.